Good day to you all. My name is Mark McCartney and welcome to the What is a Good Life podcast. If you're new to this podcast over the last two years, I've interviewed nearly 200 people around this question of what is a good life, not to prescribe universal answers or define what the good life is, but more to, to share more genuine expressions of the human experience, other people's explorations, inquiries and curiosities in the hope that it may evoke your own lines of inquiry in terms of finding your own personal answer to this question. On the 53rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast, I'm delighted to introduce Yvonne Smith as our guest. Yvonne calls herself a conscious parenting adventure guide, and she's on a mission to change the world by bringing intention to how we love our children. She's also launching a course and community, This Is How We Change the World, that you can access via the notes below uh, via the Instagram link provided. In this episode, Yvonne takes us on a journey from her own frustrations with her experience of being a parent to exploring the unconscious and developing her own model for what's important in her life, be that tending to herself, embodying love and impacting the world through conscious parenting. Throughout this conversation, we touch on many themes from exploring the unconscious and the beliefs and stories we tell ourselves based on the behavior of a child to interpreting all behavior as communication, enabling children to fulfill their own blueprint along with the significance of giving them our time, attention, and presence. Well, throughout this conversation, neither myself or Yvonne are trying to idealize behavior, so we're very much also trying to acknowledge our, our humanness and our flaws. So we discuss the significance of rupture and repair in the relationship between a parent and a child, the significance of heartfelt apologies, and the importance of empathizing with children while taking accountability for our actions. Well, I think much of this conversation culminates in a beautiful realization that conscious parenting is as much about growing ourselves up than it is indeed our children. If you're presently struggling with parenting or other close relationships, this episode will touch on a number of substantial themes that may be ripe for you to explore. Yvonne's insights and very relatable experiences will help guide you towards the potential of better parenting and relating generally with others in your life. Look, I took a lot from this conversation. Uh, Yvonne has a, a lovely capacity to thread the line between acknowledging our humanity and orienting our behavior towards behavior that can help our relationships flourish. And I was also struck by the fact that in order to help us flourish as parents, there's no escaping from having to reflect on so much of ourselves. And if you enjoy this episode, please like, share and subscribe. And if you're on the podcasting platforms, uh, please continue to leave your lovely reviews. Uh, I really appreciate it at this stage of my own podcasting journey. So without further ado, the 53rd episode of the What is a Good Life podcast. Yvonne, thank you very much for joining me on the What is a Good Life podcast today. Um, from following your content for the last little while and really enjoying uh, some of our own exchanges as well in the comment section sometimes, uh, I was really looking forward to having you on and having this conversation with you today. Well, thank you so much for asking me. It's a, a joy to be here. Wonderful. Well, as you know, I start these conversations off with the question of, is there a question you're trying to answer as you move through life, Yvonne? I love that question. It's like the biggest question you could ever ask anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, I mean, I have been giving it some thought and I'm going to kind of give you a three tiered answer to that, if that's OK, Mark. Um, so I guess in the first instance, I'm a HSP, so I'm a highly sensitive person. I have a highly sensitive nervous system. I feel everything super deeply, whether that's the highs or the lows. And actually, really, the first question that I am trying to answer for myself all the time is, how can I tend to myself? How can I 
honor my sensitivity and my nervous system and at the same time manage it as well so that I'm not, um, you know, going through life with a perpetually dysregulated nervous system <laughs> because if I don't do that, I'm no good to anybody. I can't do anything else, you know. So I guess that's if you're to take a little triangle, that's like the very, you know, if I, if I have my own personal Yvonne's hierarchy of needs as opposed to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, my first thing is how do I tend to me, okay, first of all. Um, and then I guess moving on from that is, you know, my next question is always, and this is why I have my lovely sweatshirt with love on it that I wear a lot of the time, um, is how do I embody love? How do I live love? How do I be love? How do I show up as love? How do I shine love? That's kind of my constant kind of navigation and filter um, for my own life. And I suppose... At the first level, that's kind of at a micro level. So first of all, it's with my own kids. I have two kids. I have two boys who are 14 and the other one is 13 in a couple of weeks. So it's really how do I how do I do that with them? How do I embody love with them? And then, you know, also in my own kind of micro world, in my friendships, you know, in the communities that I'm in with the people that I meet on a day-to-day basis. And then kind of the top of my triangle is, how do I make, how do I change the world? And I know that sounds massive, Mark, but it's linked to embodying love, really. And it's, you know, how, how do I change in the world or how do I contribute towards changing in the world what I believe is really not the embodiment of love? And, you know, the society that we live in, this Western society, this Western culture, which is the only one I'm familiar with because it's the one that I'm immersed in and, and live in, um, I think it's quite sick. You know, I think that it's very individualistic, very materialistic, you know, both of which kind of feed the whole capitalist machine. It's very competitive, it's very comparative. It seems to value a lot of things like success and money and power and, you know, things that are outside of ourselves. And, you know, my question to myself, once I've tended to myself and tended to my micro world is, how do I make an impact on that? And really that's through my work um, and particularly, you know, my work as a, a parent coach, you know, I work with parents and, it was Mother Teresa, I think, that said, you know, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Well, I believe that we change the world in how we parent our children. Well, that's a, that's a beautiful answer. And I like, the, I like how they're all linked as well. Um, and I also love this really big statement of how do I change the world? And then distilling it down to how do I you know, how do I raise my children well, essentially, or how do I contribute to the, through being a, a, the best parent you can be in whatever way that is. Mm. How, how have you come to that point of, how did you come to that answer when looking, how can I change the world? What, and acknowledging a lot of the sickness that we, we both probably see in society then, how did you reduce it or, or distill it to that? That's a great question. Um, I guess, you know, my own relationship with my children, 
um, is kind of my living laboratory for life, you know, I feel. And I came to parenthood quite late and I always wanted to be a parent. Like from I was a young child, I knew that I wanted to be a mother. It was a real part of my identity, even from a very young age. And I was so delighted and thrilled to, you know, get pregnant so easily and have two healthy boys at quite a late stage. I had my first kid at 39 and my second one at 41. So, um, and, but a few years in, I started to really struggle with my own emotional reactivity. You know, I met a part of myself that I'd never seen before and that, quite frankly, scared me, Mark. You know, a part that was able to rage, to roar at these kids, to yank them by the hand, to, you know, to treat them like that. And um, I kind of didn't know where that came from. And it certainly, it was like I was being at times, it wasn't the flavor of our relationship, but it was enough that I didn't like it and it didn't sit with me. It was like I was being on the outside at times, not who I was on the inside. You know, it was like there was this mismatch. And, you know, I would go to bed sometimes at night and just cry my eyes out, Mark, honestly, and say, you know, why why am I being like this? What's wrong with me? How can I how can I behave like this around the two people that I love the most in the whole world? It's it's crazy, and I ended up um, coming across. I did an NLP course, and on that NLP course, it was the first time ever I learned about the unconscious. That's the first time ever I was introduced to this idea of our unconscious and how 95% they say of our behavior is driven by our unconscious. So, and that was where I started to see, okay, there's, there's something in my unconscious that is triggering me. And again, I didn't have that word trigger back then, um, that is triggering me to behave in this way. And I'm, and I'm not being who I want to be. And there's a, as I say, that mismatch. And I went on this whole then journey of kind of discovering conscious parenting and gentle parenting and responsive parenting and all of that, and then bringing that into my own relationship with my children. And and through that, understanding the difference that it makes to our children and their evolving sense of self by how we relate to them, that, that was a, a massive thing. So it's like I am shaping them I'm shaping their worldview I'm shaping their understanding of and their model of relationship and their model of love by how I relate to them and it's incumbent upon me to manage myself and to grow myself up um, in order to be able to show up in that relationship with them in a way that supports their flourishing, I guess. So it was kind of all of that realization of, of that impact, the massiveness of that impact, um, you know, of creating that model. And that's why I say that's how we change the world, because how we relate to our children and how we love our children becomes their model for relationship. And that's really, really important because if our children have a model of relationship that is that they are seen, they are heard, they're validated, they're loved unconditionally, um, they are given a voice that their opinion matters, that they're considered, that they're empowered, that's the model they take into their adult lives. And that's the model then that they 
adopt in their lives, or they're more likely to, which A, means that that's what they demand of other people because that's how they expect to be loved because that's how they have been loved. But it's also then how they embody love and how they show up. And then that ripples on and on and on because that's how they show up with other people and that's how they will parent their children. And, and that's, it's like, it's massive. It's how, and that's to say why genuinely I believe that how we love our children is how we change the world. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, this is glorious, to be honest. Um, but this just even I, I love the sense as well of, you know, struggling or with your own reactions. And, and I think in whatever area of life, I think so many of us can relate to the sense of almost being kept up at night by our own behavior or you know, crying in reflection of why am I still doing this? I don't want to do this. And and then the the beauty of that being the the kind of impetus for starting you off on your own journey, which has brought you to where you are now. Just there's um one expression you said there, which I just wanted to check with you what it, it kind of meant for yourself. Um I thought it was really beautiful. The revolving sense of self of our children. And um, mm. could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, yes, absolutely. What I mean by that is how our children come to view themselves. You know, do they view themselves as worthy, as important, as, yeah, just those two words. Really, Worthy is really probably the, you know, the most important word. You know, are they worthy of being listened to? Do they matter? Does what they think matter? Does how they feel matter? And that's, you know, that determines their self-worth their self-esteem, whatever you want to, you know, all those words. But I want my children to grow up with a really solid sense of, I am important. I matter. How I feel matters. What I think matters. I deserve to be heard. I deserve to be loved. Um, Because, Mark, you're, you're a coach, you know, yourself, and you do some level of coaching. I'm sure you'll agree with me that so many of the adults that we end up working with as coaches have got massive voids in that sense of self. And that's why they come to coaching or therapy or all sorts of healing modalities or whatever it is. And it's wonderful that, you know, there's so many of us here serving people. But it's because of, in many cases, their lack of worthiness and that they don't have that strong sense of self that has us yearning for um, that deeper connection with ourselves and that deeper knowing of ourselves and that um, that feeling of being enough, being worthy, all of those things. So um, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing, that understanding of that strong, solid, internal sense of I am enough. Yeah, there's... There's something though really like I, I think there's something so important about this and I've recently become a father in the last four months and for me I, I think it also kind of links to what you're seeing as some of the sickness in society that I think kind of in not infects this relationship but so a lot of new parents I see kind of are telling me about all the different modalities they're doing to enhance cognitive ability or this, this or this, this or that in the the kind of almost like metric development of a child. 
And I've distilled it into something very simple for myself. It's like if I can pay attention to her and, you know, the love will come anyway, like especially as they get older, you know, there's the months roll by, it seems to grow. Um, but it, it, to me, it's that simple. Like if if she's seen, if she's paid attention to, if she knows she matters and she feels love, like if that was a fundamental staple or cornerstone of somebody's uh, upbringing or existence, then the chips may fall wherever they may, if you know what I mean, after after that point. But there there seems to be, I don't know, such a rush to try to, I don't know, people, is, the moment the child is born, the, the focus moves from that to like, what school do we try to get them into? Do, do you know what I mean? And I see people going through all these these levels as they go through life. But I think it's remarkably simple doesn't mean easy but like i think whatever pulls us away from that like whatever pulls us away from giving children attention like you know we can distract ourselves with ideas well if i provide them with all the the trappings of life that will make up for it but i i think there's a very simple fundamental aspect that like time and attention are the most important commodities you can give anyone and it seems like while we get lost in the societal race and, you know, this comparative element and this competitive elements you're touching on, it, it pulls us away from, from that fundamental ingredient of parenting. Absolutely. A hundred percent, Mark. That, yeah, time, attention, presence, you know, you've mentioned that yourself before. I've heard you talk about that. But yeah, presence, you know, and I know it's an old cliche, you know, and we roll it out at Christmas. Our children need presence more than they need presents. But yeah, it's... Yeah. It's a it's a cliche for a reason, and it's not just for Christmas. <laughs> you know, it's like, yes, presence. It's it's enormously important, and it is the thing that feeds their soul. Like it really does. It feeds our children's souls when we can simply be present with them to witness to witness their unfolding, as opposed to trying to mold them, you know, and that's kind of what you're alluding to there in some ways. It's like, how can I get them into the best school? What activities do they need to be doing? And and a lot of this is so well-intentioned because, yeah. you know, we want to give our children the best opportunities. You know, we want them to realize their potential. We want them possibly at times to give them opportunities that we didn't have, perhaps. And, you know, we're, it's very well-intentioned, but what often happens is we actually get in the way of our children unfolding into who they're supposed to be, um, as opposed to what me, what and whom we might like them to be. I mean, I use an analogy often with parents about if you take an acorn and plant it, it grows into an oak tree. If you take a sunflower seed and plant it, it grows into a sunflower. If you take a seedling for an orchid and and nurture it, it grows into an orchid. And you can't take an orchid seedling and turn it into an oak tree. It's impossible. But this is often what we're trying to do with our children. We want them to be a certain way. And in our attempt to shape and mold them, they often don't turn into anything that flourishes because we're trying to make them into something that they're not. And you may have a child who's a delicate orchid. You can't make them into an oak tree. It just mm. it's, And in your trying, you will kill the orchid. The beautiful orchid, you know, so our job, I feel as parents is, you know, whatever blueprint our children come into the world with, our job is to help them become the strongest, biggest oak tree or the sunniest, tallest sunflower or the most beautiful, delicate orchid. 
And how do you just do you ha- how do you help people let go of that uh, that attachment? Because you know something I find very interesting is um, uh, our our little girl like rarely sleeps through the night and and rarely cries. And then some people start saying, "Oh, she's so calm," or "She's like a little Buddha baby." And of course, I'm at some point, you know, I'm also thinking the same. This is brilliant, you know. And but then, you know, then when you ultimately hear cries or whatever, that's going to shatter that illusion. Um, or, you know, even just people projecting, oh, look at her fingers. Will she play the piano or something? Mm-hmm. Do, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, and I'm very much trying to like go, can we all just relax and just not say anything? Um, and I even have ideas in my head of like, you know, I don't know if she'll lead a country or or be unemployed, like, or, or whatever. Like, you know, it, it's... But at the same time, too, it's very hard as a human not to get attached to something that we perceive as as positive. It, how do you, even for yourself or even with clients, like how do you, because for me, I, I, I see that the attach or the projection of something will be inevitable, mm-hmm. but I guess it's catching that and realizing that I'm doing it and even not at this point because she's only four months old, but communicating that even when I'm doing, when I notice I'm doing it when they're older. How do you kind of get a sense of, okay, I know that you perceive this as really positive and you're trying to just, you're doing this with the best intentions, but how do you kind of let them stand back and and not interfere with the the fundamentals of the blueprint, so to speak? Often it's, it's around helping them to see what happened in their own lives when people tried to shape them. You know, sometimes it's about, well, you know, how how have you felt in the past or how do you feel when people are trying to tell you how to be? Or And it's also about, you know, helping them to take the perspective of the child. So, you know, I, I that's something actually one of my superpowers as a HSP is empathy. And I'm really able to empathize with children at a visceral level for whatever reason. Um so I am able to feel how a child feels. So when a parent is talking to me about whatever it is, oh, you know, my my child, you know, is lazy or is unmotivated or is this or is that, it's like, well, we kind of look at, well, what are they doing and how must they be feeling to behave like that? And, you know, what might that feel like for them, the things that you're saying or... You know, so it's really through a series of kind of questioning and getting them to step back and to empathize with the child's experience and how it feels to be told what to do or um, how to be in the world. Because none of us as adults like to be told how to be or what to do or and if we can understand that children are not a different species you know, they're just a, a smaller version of of a human, which and and as we are, and that we don't like to be told how to be or what to do. It doesn't mean that we don't make suggestions, of course, or that we don't give our children opportunities or expose them to certain activities or experiences or whatever. But then it's about reading our children and seeing. How do they respond? What makes them feel good? Or 
come alive. And actually, Mark, it, it often comes from, you know, you're talking there about this positive, you know, kind of attachment maybe to things for them. It often comes from parents coming to me who are um, coming at it from a different angle, as in my child doesn't do this or this is the way my child is behaving or and it's coming from that. How do I fix my child's behavior yeah, yeah. to starting to go, OK, so let's look at that behavior. All behavior is communication. You know, that's one of kind of my sort of fi- fundamental or foundational kind of parts to, you know, my perspective taking on, on children. But all behavior is communication. And behavior is actually our children's first language because they learn to behave before they learn to use words and language. So what are our children trying to tell us? And, you know, how must they be feeling to behave like that? And often it's they're behaving in a particular way because the way we're trying to get them to be runs contrary to what feels good for them on the inside, Um I don't know if that answers your question properly. No, that's a that's a, that's a that definitely answers um, definitely answers my question in that sense. But the um, I guess it's really interesting to observe just when you're talking about how you know we don't enjoy people telling us how to be. Obviously, with our kind of societal norms, we people do feel kind of contained within the expectations of how one should maybe live a life or how they should behave in certain, like what good decorum would be or or whatever it may be. But I I think it's so interesting with a child, just the level of, because it's such a blank canvas almost at the start uh, without our words and things like this, just it's amazing just to observe the almost the sheer velocity of projections and and labels and aspirations and hopes that people put on to children and you mentioned earlier this sense of like why would people see a coach or a therapist and you know referring to some degree of void I think there's also a danger if we don't have and I'm not saying someone has to find a mission or a purpose before they have a child like a child can become that in in whatever way or but there is something if if there is a void in your life and a child comes along, to me, it seems that it can be pretty dangerous and that that child is the way in which you vicariously experience life or how you would, you know, try to live life if you could go back and do it again, this kind of thing. So I, I don't know, I think it's really this sense of really obviously paying it, you know, you're saying being deeply empathic and observing the child and seeing their reactions coming back to this attention thing, I, I just think it's so important so that we're not ramming something on top of them or, or putting a, a round peg into a square hole. Like, I, yes. I, I think. Yes, and making them our, our project. Yeah. You know, yeah, that yeah, comes yeah. back to what you said there. Yeah, but making, yeah, about making them our, our project. And yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, there's this balance, this line between being invested in our children and being over-invested, um, you know, and so that, yes, we we are invested in them in a way of loving them in a way and nurturing and nourishing them in a way that allows them to, you know, grow into the fullness of themselves, but not invested in them being a certain way, but you're so right because society values 
our children being a certain way. So, you know, society sends us these messages that if our child behaves like that, that's good. And if they behave like that, that's not good. <laughs> so, but then there's another layer to that too, Mark, that, um, you know, we make up a story about our children's behavior. So, our, you know, a child, you know, is whatever, misbehaves, whatever way you want. But, and it's like, we make up a story about the child, but we also make up a story about ourselves. And that's also where there's a depth. It's like, I make up the story that my child is bad. So ergo, I'm a bad parent, you know, and, and that then can be the fuel for somebody feeling like they have to mold their child. They have to control them. I have to stamp out that behavior because they're making me look bad. I And, and it's not so much in a, although it can be sometimes an egotistical way, but sometimes it's a very, just a very human way of feeling bad about ourselves because our child is not behaving in a particular way. I mean, I have a memory actually of when my children were maybe five and six or four and five even going to the zoo and walking around the zoo. And there was a family up ahead of us with three boys and they were maybe a little bit older, you know, than, than, you know, than my two. And they were swinging on these bars. And the mum and dad just called out and said, come on, boys. And the three boys got off the bars and followed their parents. And I remember actually in that moment thinking, my kids just wouldn't do that. And feeling really bad about myself. Why, why don't my children just listen to me like that or come yeah. off the bars immediately? Look at them. So... And it's very easy for us to make up that story about ourselves. Well, I'm the bad parent then because those children behave better than mine. But then what that leads me to is, and what I talk to parents about is, that whole thing that you talked about, a blank canvas. But I help people to see how we came into the world as a blank canvas and how I talk about a bucket, like we come into this world and we get handed this bucket and our parents or our primary caregivers, the people who are you know, responsible for us, throw all these things into the bucket, all of their beliefs, their worldviews, their values, their thoughts, everything else. And then we carry that bucket around with us into adulthood and our unconscious is that is basically the contents of that bucket and that drives our behavior so all the things that our parents put in there all the beliefs that they have around money education success um relationships independence sex like everything gets thrown in there and we just we don't realize it we don't realize that we're being driven by all of these beliefs that other people handed to us so a large part of, you know, or often a large part of what I do with parents or what they get to do, unpack the bucket is to yeah. unpack the drivers, you know, of these. So, you know, why are you getting so irate or upset or worried that your child is getting a C grade instead of an A grade? Well, what, what, what must you be believing you know, around that? And where did that belief come from? And is that belief helpful, resourceful? So, you know, we can unpack our beliefs and go, okay, that one's really helpful, because my parents taught me about kindness and generosity. And, and that's a value and a belief I want to hang on to. Okay, I can keep that one. But you see this one here, which says that, 
you know, my children should be seen and not heard. Okay, I can throw that one away because actually that doesn't really accord with what I, how I want to show up in the world or what I want to believe. So there's an unpacking and that's why actually conscious parenting is about growing ourselves up more so than growing our children up. It's about doing our own work to unpack all of this and really come up with what are my own values what do I truly believe? Why does this matter? And does it matter? What stories am I making up? So it's, I mean, my children have grown me up more than, you know, than I grew up in all the, you know, 40 years before I had them (laughs) (laughs) and continue to every single day, you know. This, um, this is a lovely sentiment of, you know, figuring out yourself, figuring out and, you know, not becoming this robotic, um, you know, cre- like functioning creature that shows the right amount of generosity, empathy, never loses its temper, you know, just some of these ridiculous ideas we have about the human experience. Um, but figuring out, like, I, I think knowing your own values is just it makes it so much easier to just make, you're not even really making decisions if you know what they are and then you embody and stand by them. Um, because it's, and it's not about then putting them all on top of another person, even if that's my, you know, my wife or my child or whatever, I'm just approaching life my way and letting people know that this is merely my way. And I, and I think when we start to see the, our own unique individuality, it's kind of easier to celebrate it or look to promote it in somebody else's life because I don't know about you, like since I've been living life from that perspective, it's not that all the, it's not that I've made all the right decisions. It's not that all the the windfalls just keep coming my way and I just keep knocking it out of the park, but I, I feel content with the choices that I'm making irrespective of the outcome. Yeah. And I, I don't know, there's something about whether it's us as individuals and then particularly because I see it kind of get magnified when people talk about their children, there's a kind of a greater anxiety around it, but it's so outcome driven mm. and there's so many things that we just, we can't know or that they happen for a multitude of reasons and um, that we can't fully control essentially. And I love this kind of sense that you were saying around like just you know, in order to allow them to be, I think there's something fundamental in us as as human beings that we just have to be okay with allowing life to be as well, if you get me. Like, so it, I, I very much agree with that sentiment that it's a, it's a, it's work on ourselves um, or understanding of ourselves. And that allows us then to, to, give the space to somebody else like whether it's a child another person in your life or whatever it may be yeah no absolutely that that acceptance you know and it's that surrender you know and and i think uh, you know the surrender is a word that sometimes makes people feel no i don't like that word because that sounds like kind of giving up or and it's not it's not that at all it's about you know surrendering to the present moment whatever that is but it doesn't mean that we don't, you know, try to make changes or improvements or whatever it is. It's that combination of acceptance of the as is, you know, but also being on a on a path of learning and growth and 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 all of that. And I mean, it is 
uh, it is hard to it is it is definitely hard to accept when our children um develop values that are different to ours is actually is a massive thing i mean you know you have a have a baby now so you're nowhere near that yet but mark i have teenagers so it's like you know i am in that stage already where you know uh, they are making choices that are different to some of the ones that I am making or would make and or that I would prefer they make at times. And, you know, conscious parenting is kind of easier when they're younger because they do tend to follow and emulate us and want to follow and emulate us, you know. But then there comes a time when it's like, I want to be different to you, mom. That's actually part of their natural and healthy evolution. And that means that at times, sometimes they will even say they disagree with something just to disagree with it, even if, you know, just for the sake of it. So I'm in a whole new era now, Mark, you know, I kind of thought like about two years ago, yeah, I'll kind of have this sus now, you know, conscious parenting, all is pretty good. And then kind of we met these (laughs) new years of, you know, just pushing back in different ways. And, um, and that pushes actually us in terms of our growth and having to accept and surrender to this evolving person who is not going to be a mini me um and you know is is going to and it's not even you know we don't mind our children having different interests to us you know you don't mind if your child is into gymnastics and you weren't or horse riding or like football my kids are into football obviously they're boys and they're making into football and that's okay but and and but it's when it comes to values or actually how they view the world and disagreeing with you about things. You know, I had a conversation with one of my kids the other day about kind of the planet and, you know, he had some different thoughts to me. <laughs> it was, you know, it's like a hard little path to navigate because you can't force your opinion on a, you know, on a on a on a on a teen, a young teen, or it just it doesn't work. So it's a whole new era. And Mark, actually, I wanted to come back to something you said earlier about you know your your child and she sleeps really well and she's very calm and whatever. Have a second one, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we had um you know we had our first child and he was um very calm very quiet you know he's a hsp actually as well as it turns out but he would literally sit in a chair and observe the world and say very little and didn't and then we had the second one and he's a firecracker completely different kettle of fish entirely like it's um but i I, i'm even wondering like even after because i've heard of some friends in similar scenarios and after seven months it just flipped you know so it's uh i i think it's um you know it's whatever happens or whatever comes our way it's to deal with it like and even you you know even when uh we were when if it was pregnant just kind of saying like oh i like just kind of wondering would like postnatal depression be part of the equation and not trying to fear it or resist it, just saying, well, whatever's going to come, we're going to, all of these things are on the table, right? Like, you know, I, I often say, like, I have no idea if my child will be, or if Ava will be an absolute, like, lunatic of a teenager. Like, it's, 
it's all on the cards like it's it's really interesting though like the that dynamic you were talking about there of you know like their values are are colliding now and you know I'm sure if we look at our own paths, like whatever we are at this age and our values, Jesus, how much they've even changed for you, for you or I even the last 10 years, let alone when we were teenagers. It's so interesting to try to, because I can imagine the temptation for me anyway, like I won't speak for anyone else, but oh, I think I've learned all these things. I've gone on this journey, like, but just, you know, condensing what you have learned in, in 40, in my case, 40 years or whatever, and then just trying to stuff it on on top of a teenager who has to make their own mistakes, who has to, well, not even mistakes, but just who have their own opinions, their own views. Like I, I can find that, like I can imagine, I don't know, it makes me think of when I first came to meditation and did some silent retreats and was telling everyone in my life they should meditate. Like I was insufferable for about a year or something. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm, I'm just almost like clenching up thinking about the, you know, just trying to resist the, the desire to, to do that to a teenager. Oh, completely. And, and actually, the more inner work you've done, nearly the harder it is. Because like you say, I've done so much inner work over the last you know, even five years, even the last year that I'm like, no, but I have all these great ideas. You know, I, I know. So you, you don't need to <laughs> suffer like this. You just need to do that. You know, it's like, because I'm so, oh, I've learned so much and God, if I'd known this, all of this and, you know, how to, for example, regulate my nervous system, that's a massive thing, you know? And it's like, so I'm trying to teach them things. No, no, no. But if you just do this and they're just like, go away, mom. <laughs> I don't I don't want to know and you know and you're like oh okay and it's that balance of you know sharing the things with them but not being attached to them adopting them and I think that's a it's not about oh don't don't tell them don't share don't but don't try to impose um and be unattached to whether they absorb things or not. And actually what's really interesting, Mark, is that there will be things at times that I have said to the kids that they have rolled their eyes at, you know, and slammed doors at and other things. But then I hear, then they repeat them back, you know, or they'll tell me they told their friend it or something. So, and then you go, ha, ha, ha. So it did go in. (laughs) It did go in somewhere, you know, so. And for you, how would you describe your uh, experience or relationship with parenting kind of, and this, I'm not trying to make it too binary, but like kind of pre and post your, your own explorations into conscious parenting, uh, your own journey as well. Like from, you know, even when you're alluding to just the sheer frustration or suffering with your own behavior to, to, okay, obviously your, your teens aren't just adopting all your views, but to the place, to the place even where you're at now. Um, how, how do I compare the two? Yeah, or uh, how would you even kind of allude to some of the, the evolutions or the transitions that have occurred in that process? Um, yeah, I suppose the, the, the transition started when I, when I changed the question from how do I get my child to do X and to stop doing Y to why do I care so much? What story am I making up about them, about me? And how can I manage my behavior? 
So really that's the transition. That's the that's the shift. And if you can make that shift, it's massive. It's massive because I, that's what I was struggling with when the kids were younger. It was like, you know, why can't I get them to get into the bath, get out of the bath, get into the car, get out of the car, get into their pajamas, get out of their pajamas, brush their teeth, you know, how you know, how can I get them to do the things? And how can I stop them doing those things? And you know, I was going down the route of, you know, reading a lot of the, I suppose, mainstream parenting kind of advice, which is very behaviorist, um, which is trying to answer that question. Well, if you do this, they'll behave this way. And of course, the whole super nanny thing. I mean, I, Mark, I hold my hand up. I used the naughty step because that's what I learned from that whole mainstream thing is that you do that. And again, that's behaviorist. So, you know, but when you come away from how do I change their behavior to why is their behavior triggering me so much? What must I be believing deep down? You know, why do I feel threatened by it? Because what happens, Mark, is oftentimes our nervous systems go into a state of high alert, which has us getting frustrated, yelling, whatever, because we feel threatened. Well, how can I feel threatened? It's because our beliefs are being threatened. That's actually what's happening. And that's the same feeling in our bodies as a saber-toothed tiger outside the window, you know. And it's about starting to understand that, that I'm feeling threatened. That's what's happening. That's why I'm going from naught to 90 in a nanosecond. And it's about, okay, so what's going on for me? What's going on for me? And how can I manage myself? How can I tend to myself? How can I interrogate my beliefs? How can I work on on myself and my own sense of peace and equanimity? How can I regulate my own nervous system? You know, all of that. So it becomes whenever you take the, sh- the focus of how do I fix them to how do I kind of tend to myself? Yeah, that, I, I think that's so fundamentally important. There's um, just curious and from your perspective, like how how then do you, I, I guess, go from just that to then also not um like not being as as focused then or like almost letting go of your expectations for a child's behavior like because I, I think even in general relationships were not that we're always trying to influence or manipulate but just to be comfortable with, with that like because it, it seems from what i look at a lot of our own personal behavior so much i think stems from control and fear right in in how we're even showing up and in the psychotic ways we're kind of behaving and as as a society and and the way we i don't know the way we're just we're doing things that seem like they're they're going to end badly kind of thing how do how do you when when you focus on just regulating yourself then do you notice then like is there is there an awareness around oh wow this is like from my perspective, the more I try to um, observe a, a process in myself and realize how difficult sometimes that is to let go of, it makes me think like, what am I even trying to do to this other person? Like, God, I'm I'm struggling to do this for myself. How do you how do you know? Like, what do you notice changes in you when you when you make that distinction? 
Well, you said a really important thing there is you move from fear to love. I mean, and that's that's the kind of thing. You, you know, you're you're so you're so right. I, I very much concur with that thing that we are up control comes from fear, you know, trying to mould our children comes from fear. It comes from the fear of them being other than they should be. Um and and many times it's a very well intentioned. It's like we don't want them to struggle, or we don't want them. You know, we want the best for them. We want them to do well. All of those things. But um, what I notice shifts when when I change, their response changes. You know, if if I am grounded, and my nervous system is regulated, I mean, we we co-regulate with our children that's probably a term you're familiar with mark but maybe everyone else listening isn't so you know co-regulation is essentially where our children um absorb our energetic and emotional state so and i use a i love to use analogies and metaphors that are easy to understand and i use one about like the jump leads imagine the jump leads of a car and your children are attached to you with jump leads. So when your nervous system is dysregulated, that's the energy that's going down those jump leads to them. So when our children are dysregulated, if we we can't fight fire with fire. So if our children get dysregulated and have a tantrum or a meltdown or whatever you want to call it, if we move into dysregulation and yelling or you know get criticizing or judging or stop that now or you know we move into that that dysregulates them further because what they actually need is safety because they're feeling unsafe their bodies feel unsafe to them and they need a regulated state so they borrow our calm and um adults learn how to we, we come to learning how to regulate our emotions through thousands and thousands of instances of having our emotions co-regulated. So when we remain calm, when we are able to regulate ourselves, our children learn how to do that too because it gives them the safety to come down from that highly dysregulated state. And I am not suggesting that this is easy, Mark, you know, <laughs> at all. It's simple, like you said, but it's not easy. I'm not suggesting it's easy. But, you know, I have had to, you know, find ways to do that. And and the ways that I do that are many and varied, as in, you know, at a, I have on the one hand, things that I can do in the moment when I start to feel myself becoming dysregulated. So breath work, you know, the most simple, easiest thing that you have available that doesn't take time on anything else. Um, I also use EFT tapping. That's also in my kind of toolkit. Sometimes I walk into a different room. I just have to get out in order to remove myself from the hyperstimulation that is getting mine, so long as my child is safe, you know, obviously physically safe, it's okay to walk away and give yourself a timeout, you know, that's perfectly acceptable, you know, if your child is not in physical danger, you know, and and even to say to your child, mommy needs a moment, you know, that's perfectly acceptable, that's a good model for your children to see too. But that's kind of in the moment. But then outside of that, it comes back to what I said at the very beginning, me tending to myself. The bottom layer of my triangle is how do I 
navigate life in a way that I am mostly grounded that I am so that whenever something happens that that I I don't flare up so easily that I'm in that and that's that's you know that's about some of the fundamentals like sleep and you know nature and moving my body and all of that but then it's also kind of at an individual level we have to we have to figure out what contributes to our own kind of well-being and our own sense of ease and peace and regulation and like you know so for me I write poetry I paint um you know yes I walk you know walking nature without listening to anything else solitude I need solitude as well to to recharge myself so and you know I didn't know any of this when my kids were younger so you know a lot of the the triggering that was happening was happening because I wasn't tending to myself and I didn't know how to. I didn't even have this language or vocabulary. I didn't know anything about any of this. I wasn't taught any of this growing up. So I've had to figure that out and figure out what's Yvonne's prescription for grounding herself, feeling good, tending to herself. And and as I say, we, we get to kind of figure that. And that, that involves us noticing, you know, for ourselves you know, what contributes to us being in a good state. And if it's a case of, well, this happened with my kid today and I got so dysregulated, well, how am I tending to myself? What was happening before that? What have I been doing in the last few days? How, you know, and it, it's really about getting to know ourselves and, and what we need. Yeah, I think this is, uh, for all relationships, this is just so important. And even just what you're touching on there, the outlet of some even creative expression or something to to play with our own emotions or to express our own emotions, whether it was through art or poetry or, or whatever it may be. And the, the solitude one resonates with me massively as well. There's just curious, and, and this is like me preempting the future, I guess, for me. Um, and I see how I do it in my adult relationships. But, you know, I've definitely been a fiery character for a lot of my life. And you know, I, I, it's with a lot of the things that I'm working on, I, I'm, I'm happier with the, my relationship with anger at times, but still more than capable of doing things I regret. How do you balance that? Like in terms of like even communicating with children, like reconciliation, mm. accountability, because you know, we can do as as many kind of uh, tending to ourselves things and, and we'll still be human at times as well, right? So how, how do you kind of see that uh, playing out with, with our kids? I'm so glad you raised that, actually, because it's such a great point. Um, yeah, I still lose my temper with my kids occasionally. I still sometimes say things that sound critical or judgmental and they respond accordingly. Um so, you know, the whole thing of rupture and repair, okay, that's that's where that comes in. And again, you know, to kind of use a, a, a metaphor, it's like if you're a cyclist, you will learn how to repair a puncture and you will expect to get punctures. You don't go, I'm a bad cyclist if I get a puncture, okay? It's just part and parcel of cycling. And it's the same thing. It's part and parcel of any relationship that there will be these ruptures, which are momentary ruptures in connection that you can then repair, okay? And that's that's really important. And it, you're not a bad parent, you're not a bad person, you know, if you if you do these things that we all do, like you say, Mark, we're human and sometimes we're 
tired or stressed out or preoccupied or whatever it is and we are impatient and frustrated and in fear instead of love and all of those things so the repair is really important and that's where a heartfelt apology comes in it's the most simple of things where you apologize to your child and you say I am really sorry that I spoke to you that way that was not okay you know and it's like it's it's the simplest of things and yet I mean I know when I started on this whole road that sounded alien to me being brutally honest Mark because no adult ever apologized to me ever okay that was not a thing when I was growing up (laughs) and um it almost felt like you're losing ground you know you can't that's then I'm admitting I was in the wrong and you know I'm I'm the parent and I'm all knowing and I'm right you know so but it's it's a it's a process and it's a very beautiful thing and the trust that you build with your children through apologizing is massive and the permission you give them to be human is also massive because they learn that you know, I will say to my kids, I don't get it right all the time. I'm sorry. And that was an instance of it, you know, and a, a heartfelt apology doesn't include a but. OK, that's very important. Yeah, yeah. The minute you say but, you negate everything that went before it. So you don't say, well, I'm really sorry I shouted at you. But if you had come when I asked you, you know, you say, I'm really sorry I shouted at you. That wasn't OK. I'm sorry. You know, you can deal with the other things another time. And, you know, if if children are struggling to get ready for school on time or whatever that's sorting different stuff out but it doesn't include a but it can include an and because sometimes a, a an explanation is useful and helpful so sometimes I will say you know you know and I am really tired because I haven't slept well that's not an excuse it's an explanation it's not an excuse but you know, it, it's part of, you know, or I'm, I'm really preoccupied about something else or I'm worried about something else. Um, but a heartfelt apology is massive, you know, and children are so forgiving, like so forgiving, um, as we all are. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's human nature to be forgiven if somebody is genuinely apologetic. And another kind of tip that I would give parents about apologizing is that, Whenever we, whenever I apologize to my kids, what I will often say is what I wish I had said instead was, or what I wish I had done instead was, because that almost gives them a felt experience of what it would be like if you'd done it differently. So I might say, look, I'm really sorry that I spoke to you like that. What I wish I had done was I wish I'd listened properly to what you wanted to tell me before I interrupted, you know, or whatever it was. I wish I had thought about what, you know, whatever it is, but that's useful and another thing that's useful is you know saying to your child let's have a do-over and literally go out of the room and come back in and do the thing again you know and my kids will 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 sometimes say to me mom can we have a do-over great thing to have for adults as well mark in actual fact everything that i you know talk about is, is their relationship skills so they're not just to do with your kids, you know, seeing, hearing, validating, empathizing, their relationship skills are not just for kids. And in actual fact, a lot of people that I work with turn around and go, do you know what? My relationship with my partner has improved so much in doing this work because 
they're learning skills generally around holding space and witnessing and accepting and listening and unconditionally loving and you know apologizing and all of these things so it's never just for kids no i i 100 percent agree and i and i think a genuine apology with no buts and everything else is one of the most liberating things in accepting ourselves as human beings because i think a lot of times we can't give that apology because we find what we're acknowledging so threatening to our sense of self but when you do that and you consistently do that i think that profoundly affects our relationship with ourselves as well as 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 other people look just Conscious of, of time here, um, there's a lot of other questions I want to ask um, that I won't have time for. But one uh, one last question before the, the usual one that I end with. Um, how do you go about your life uh, embodying love? Uh, it's something I wanted to expand on much more that we won't have time for. But just even in a in a in a kind of a, a succinct sense, of what what does that entail for you? Um, it entails me trying to live my life in a way that answers the question, what would love do in this situation? Nice. You know, how would love behave here? What would love say? How would love be, you know, in this situation? I think I, I, I did you, re, is that from a, is that from a book? I'm trying to, I think, I think I wrote down that acronym before on my wrist. Uh, like I just, what would love do? I, I, I was just trying to rack it my might head. Be. Where I... And, and, you know, one of the books that has profoundly influenced me is um, the book by Marianne Williamson. Um, oh, what's it called? It has love in the title, but it's, it's really all about, that whole thing of love being the opposite of fear um, and that whole embodiment of love. So it could be from there. um, A Return to Love, that's what it's called. Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love, which is based on A Course in Miracles. Um, Beautiful book. So Yvonne, just from everything you've been talking about, like how do I tend to myself? How do I... You know, how do I embody love? Uh, how do I make a big impact on society? And then realizing that the path to that is uh, is is this conscious parenting as well, and also then spreading that, and not only the ripple effects that will have from generations for yourself, but other people that you're helping as well. Looking at maybe society and acknowledging where you would like to, it to change and, and, and contributing towards that. Like so many examples of like the importance of being seen, being heard, being noticed, paying attention, um, humility in whether it's with our kids or not, um, an acceptance of being human, a desire to explore yourself as much as possible. You know, even from the sense of when you're initially um kind of struggling with trying to understand your own behavior and that being the impetus for for going on your own journey um with all of this just really curious then to ask you the the final question as i do of uh, what is a good life for you yvonne all of the above (laughs) that's literally it i mean you know if i was to distill it down to one thing it kind of is the love thing i mean on my linkedin profile i don't know whether you've seen there's a quote that i have there by jen pasteloff who wrote a beautiful book called on being human and the quote is when i get to the end of my life and i ask one final what have i done let my answer be i have done love that's it yeah 
that's uh that's absolutely gorgeous and i think it's uh even the question what would love do i i just think that's such a such a beautiful mantra to kind of carry carry with us as as we go through life and of course we're going to be triggered we're going to be pissed off we're going to react but as long as we just kind of keep returning to some of these sentiments and lots of the 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 sentiments that you brought up during the course of this conversation as well i i think it will it will go a long way to us own to us all living our own good life and look yvonne thank you so much for your time thank you for all that you've shared i've i've really enjoyed this conversation as i suspected i would and and thank you very much for joining us on the what is a good life podcast today it has been an absolute pleasure mark thank you so much for inviting me